Welcome to Wood Talk for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now, here are three guys who have great personalities Mark, Matt, and Shannon. All right, it's Wood Talk number 260 for July 20th, 2015. On today's show, we're talking about soft wood for a workbench, establishing your woodworking style, using a router as a jointer, and choosing wood for a tabletop. All that and more coming up, but first, let's hear a quick word from our sponsor, Brusso Hardware. Brusso provides high-quality, American-made woodworking hardware for your next project. As a special discount for new customers, use coupon code WT2015 for 10% off orders at Brusso.com. And we'd also like to thank a few folks who helped us out with donations, Robert O'Brien, uh, Jason Biggs, and Ryan Foster. Thank you so much, guys, for sending us a few bucks. If you want to help us out, too, you can go to woodtalkshow.com, look over in the right-hand column, and you'll see a few links for a small recurring donations or a donation in any amount, whatever you want to do, to help us out, to help us keep the lights on, to help keep Matt and his delicious uh, carne asada tacos. Yes, mm. please do. I need the ones that the, the juice drips down, gets all over my shirt, and like two days later, I'm like, is that... Yep, that's steak carne asada <laughs> juice. It's it's good two days later, too. Hey, isn't Jason Biggs that kid from American Pie he that is. used the pie? Yes, you know what? And given the fact with his orange is the new black money, you'd think he could send us more. Right. Yeah, what's up, up with that? that? <laughs> uh, yeah, hopefully not the same guy. So uh, thanks, Jason Biggs. Actually, I hope it is the same guy. Uh, I think that'd that be would great. be really, yeah, could you that'd imagine? Be really, really cool. Who needs you know Jimmy really Carter as a woodworking icon? We have Jason Biggs now. <laughs> Yeah, you know what's really bad is I looked at uh, Robert O'Brien's name, and it reminded me of a podcast I listened to today where they were talking about surnames and some of the meanings. And they were saying that the O, or say the Mac, or some of those typical Celtic names, mm-hmm. that actually refers to like uh, son of. So that's uh, a son of Brian there. Uh, apparently, oh. is Robert's uh, heritage, and also the E Z at the end of like a Hispanic name, say like Gonzalez Sanchez. The E Z actually is referring to son of. So my wife tried to say like, so if I put like E Z B, does that mean like I'm a son of a son of a that way? <laughs> but if you put it at the other end and have it, you know, the B B's, then it's fine. <laughs> uh, e Z B wasn't that your college rap name? Uh, actually, it was uh, Leftover is what was my college oh, okay. rap name. <laughs> All right. And also, okay, I should and that's mention. that's the show, folks. Thanks yeah, for coming out. That was it. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed it. Fun with flags. Uh, also, if you go to woodtalkshow.com, we've got a little giveaway going there where you could win a Wood Talk t-shirt. So go to uh, woodtalkshow.com slash giveaway and uh, enter to win. Let's get into uh, what's on the bench. See what's going on in the shop this week. For me, I am getting ready to do the next project, which is the two-compartment rolling hamper woven side dealy whacker. Oh. Uh, trying to come up with like That's like knitting, isn't it? Sort of, but no. Oh, I see. I actually am trying. It's an experiment. I don't know that it's going to work. It's the first time I've actually done a project that had something in it that I wasn't positive I could get to work. So it could be a fabulous disaster. Uh, but I'm going to try to create this woven pattern on the front and the two sides just to let the whole thing breathe a little bit since hampers kind of do need to breathe. Otherwise, they get all stanky. They get stanky anyway. Yeah, but Just throw yeah. another coat of shellac on it. I'm going to put a little stickum uh, air freshener thing in there. It'll be fine. You know, when I think about like the weaving portion, I always think about, uh, remember that car splinter that we saw at 2009 yeah. AWFS mm-hmm, that, sure. and that's how they made like the frame or the, the body was like they weaved all that wood. And I'm oh, thinking, that's right. Oh, that's crazy. That how did you, and they even showed how they did it. And I remember thinking, nope, 
<laughs> I still don't get it. Uh, I still, yeah. Well, this will be a gross simplification of that. Uh, basically, <laughs> there's just a couple of vertical pieces that are mortised into the top and bottom rails. And then the thinner side pieces that go horizontal, those will weave in and out of those vertical bars. And uh, eighth of an inch is where I'm going to start. I don't know how well that's going to work. It really doesn't have to bend too much, but the cumulative effect of bending all of them means they're going to have to go from the top down without one of the rails in place because I don't know that I'm going to be able to like once you get past maybe two of the things trying to push it through all those and continue that shape is going to be a little bit tricky so actually the assembly is the thing i'm the most concerned about i'm not 100 percent sure how that's going to go so we shall see but that's uh that's coming up this week and if i'm crying by the end of the week you know why and we're going to point and laugh and go ha 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 you should have just made it solid (laughs) yeah well that may be where i end up so you could just end up with like a, a nice woven placemat just glued to the side. There you go. Well, worst, worst case scenario, I'll just like lacquer the panel and put it up on the wall. There you go. Just because nice. it does it does look cool. It'll look cool. I just don't know if I'll be able to make it functional. How, <laughs> so how we'll very see. David Marks of you. Just random things attached to the wall in the background. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's what I'm going for. It's a very artistic shop. Nice. So, Matt, what about very, you? Very cool. Well, for me, uh, this weekend was filled with uh, client delivery. I don't normally get to say that very often because a lot of times I make the client come here and pick up anything. That only happens once or twice a year when I I do have the occasional client by client, I mean friend. Uh, (laughs) But in this case, I actually had to move uh, all those garage organizer cabinet thingies out of my garage and over to their garage. And wouldn't you know, the same exact time that I am getting ready to load up the trailer that I borrowed from my parents, a nice huge storm rolled in and soaked the entire uh, neighborhood. And Well, not just my neighborhood, everywhere. So it delayed me a little bit, but once I was able to get everything loaded up onto the end of the trailer, I had to make a couple of trips. Thankfully, they weren't too far away. Aiden actually got off the couch and helped me. Normally, he just sits there and points and laughs and says, <laughs> I'm not taking up woodworking because of this reason. boy. Yep. So we put it together. And while, once again, I saw all my flaws. For once, I kept my mouth shut. And they were so ecstatic with how it turned out and so, so happy that they now want to commission me for more work, at which point I'm putting my hand up going, no, no, no. how big is it? Because <laughs> I need to know if I need to borrow this trailer again. <laughs> huh. So is this one, uh, you know, financially worth doing or because I know sometimes you accept those friends, family projects and it's like, well, it's more charity (laughs) than anything. Right. (laughs) You know, was this one worth it or was it just one of those helping people out type things? No, this this one, I definitely if I were doing this as a full time job, I'd be very happy with the profit margin on this. And I don't mind saying that because even if they were to hear this, they still when I was dropping it off, kept going, are you sure this balance is enough? Because that doesn't seem like enough Hmm. at which I responded well, if you feel like you need to add more, go ahead. <laughs> I will Don't worry. Tips. The next one I do for you will make up for it. <laughs> exactly. So, but they, they didn't, but they still kept insisting that I was way undercharging for it. And I kept thinking, man, I still feel like any second now, I, somebody's going to, like, the cops are going to chase me down the road for, like, taking advantage of these people. I think that's the trick, though. When you feel like you're, like, pushing the limit and going, whoa, I'm getting away with something here, that's actually when you probably priced it in the ballpark of where it should be. Right, right. Yeah. Well, that's good. <laughs> win, win. They were happy, you were happy. So. Well, that's exactly, because, like, even when we were first talking about the price, and I I just kind of threw it out there, and I was thinking, like, well, we'll negotiate a little bit or something. I threw it out, and they, they even responded with, are you sure that's all? And I remember thinking, hmm. what number did I use? Can you tell me what the number was? <laughs> no, 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 no. I meant, uh, let me add a zero. 
Sorry. Because sometimes, yeah, because once in a while there's a number <laughs> or something in my head and something else comes out of my mouth. So I just want to make sure that what was in my head equaled what came out of my mouth. And it was. So I always get okay. my, my hundreds and thousands confused. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I, I have the issue with decimal points, which <laughs> never works good for me when I'm writing out checks for bills. Right. Nice. <laughs> so that was that was the big thing for me, which was big and exciting. And as soon as I was done, we uh, stopped, picked up barbecue, came home and crashed out on the couch for the rest of the day, which mm. worked out great for us. Now, Shannon, you had a glue line fail on you. You have a glue line on you? And can I just failed? can I just interrupt? I love the fact that Matt spoils the ending for Shannon yeah, right. every week. <laughs> that, one of these days I'm just going to say, yep. Yep, that's what happened. <laughs> okay, so here's what's new. <laughs> <laughs> no, I have one of those moments where um, if you've ever been gluing up a panel – you know, you do that dry run in the clamps and make sure everything closes up nicely. And it's like, it's not closing up right away. But if I crank this clamp down a little bit more, it closes up. <laughs> and I, I glued up a panel and I admit I did that. And um, it opened up on me. This was a panel. Ooh. I think I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, I had had a panel that was like in the clamps for four weeks. Like it was in there when I went abroad. It was, you know, when we were dealing with uh, sickness and all that stuff, my this panel was in the clamps. It wasn't this panel, ironically, but I glued this panel up probably four or five weeks ago. And I was just getting to the point where I was starting to dimension it to final size. And I noticed that the glue line had opened up on the end, which makes kind of sense because you know the weather has changed pretty dramatically around here and granted the wood's been expanding uh, because it's been getting really really hot and humid but the wood has still been moving and kind of stressing that that glue joint and it opened up on the end and it looked like kind of like when a crack starts it has a tendency to just walk all the way down well it walked down the glue line about halfway and I, I didn't see it at first but as I was planing it and thicknessing the board it really became apparent and I'm like, man, I'm going to have to undo this. And I'm thinking, well, I used high glue so I can just, you know, heat it up and take it apart. So I took it over to the bench, just out of curiosity, you know, centered the glue line right over the corner of the bench and just kind of brought it down. That thing popped apart with like no effort whatsoever. So oh, wow. the half of the glue joint was good. The other half had, we'll say, a 32nd of an inch gap, maybe even smaller than that, probably smaller than that. So wait, um, what was the gap like as you were clamping it? You said there were gaps. So it was just the opposite of a sprung joint, essentially. It was just loose at the ends. And and that was the real problem. I think if the gap were in the middle, like a sprung joint, it would have been okay. But it was yeah. slightly off on the end. And I know what happened. I probably got a little sloppy as I was joining it with my plane and maybe tapered it slightly, maybe leaned a little too far in the end of that cut. Mm-hmm. It's a very common planing thing where if you're not careful, you can put too much weight on the end and... All it takes, you just slightly kind of chamfer off that end. And it was just a little bit of a gap. So I, you know, those those parallel clamps they make these days, you can put, what, like 3,000 pounds per square inch on the board. So I cranked it down with very little effort. And now, you know, there's no substitute for a good joint. And I knew it when I did it, but I decided, eh, it was like everything was in place. It was the last panel to put together. So I just kind of went with it and, uh, paid for it. So the good news is, is I, I, I was already planning to take it apart and re-glue it. Um, but it was really amazing how easy it was to fail with just a slight, you know, again, part of that glue joint was good. The other part wasn't. So it's very it interesting. Like I, I envy that in a sense and not because you had to fix something, but because 
part of the the woodworking experience and truly having experience, not just things you've read about, you know, or things that uh, someone told you about the experience of knowing where the failure point is, knowing what you can get away with and what you can't. Um, and honestly, at least to my, to my knowledge, I've never had a glue joint in a panel open up, but I don't Mm -hmm. know. And I've tried so many different things over the years, different adhesives, uh, biscuits, not biscuits, dowels, like all these different things. And we try them thinking like, oh, well, this is going to make it better, but how much better does it need to be? And where's the breaking point where things don't work the way they should anymore? And it's, Mm -hmm. it's really, I think interesting that you now have that sort of data point. That you well, could work I with. think if I had actually sprung that joint, mm-hmm. it probably wouldn't have happened. Yeah. Um, because it, it was it was enough on the end that if I had removed a little bit of the wood in the middle of that panel, it would have closed up the end. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the key. If you have any gap on the end where the wood is moving, spanning, contracting the most, um, because it's the end grain, right? That's where all the moisture is coming and going. Um, I just don't think there's really any room for error if that gap is at the end. Right. Because there's no, there's no pressure. The gap in the middle, you can compress the wood and you get that tension from the compression. But uh, not so much when the gap's on the end. So Interesting. Yeah. My laziness strikes again and I had to redo it. So <laughs> oh, go shit. figure, right? <laughs> oh, well. It happens. Yep. All right. Uh, let's move into what's new. Got a couple things to share with you here. First one was sent in by my buddy Steve. And it's a video about turning butter knives into steak knives. And this isn't so woodworking related so much as like tool sharpening basically so much as you were hungry at the time (laughs) it was it's a fun video to watch and makes me want to eat a steak and uh, the guy basically goes to a you know thrift store and buys a bunch of old butter knives and decently you know good quality uh, cutlery and takes it back to the shop reshapes the edge to turn it from that sort of oval like soft edge that a butter knife has to something a little bit more dramatic and then sharpens it to a nice point. And it's, you know, most of us who sharpen things realize that you, you could do this if you really were so motivated to do it. Uh, but it is fun to watch this guy do it. The one thing I'll say, if you guys watch this, tell me if you have the same reaction I did when you see him, the reshaping point where he has to remove, oh, about a quarter inch of the butter knife to create this new edge on there he doesn't use a grinder. He, he mentions the grinder, but he uses a water stone to do oh, it. Yes. And it's what? like, he's peeling the water stone up as he's doing it. It was like, he's shaving the water stone oh, no. <laughs> running it on edge too. And I'm like, this is a cool video. It's fun to watch. But the first person who tries to, to, to reshape a butter knife, on my water stone gets punched in the butt. <laughs> <laughs> You'll use it on them. Actually. You'll really shank them. Yeah. It, it's, it's a little rough to watch that part, but that in that said, case, the duller, the better when it comes to the shank. So. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, it was actually a fun video to watch though. Very well made and, a, a, just a neat little project. Does he do anything like scales on the side? Is there any wood at all in this? No, there is not. It's wow. all metal. You know, wood talk up. is not about wood. It's in the name, but that doesn't mean it has to be in what we're talking about, yeah, right? Woodish. Maybe? It's woodish talk. <laughs> wood, woodish yeah, there talk. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Sweet. Well, this next one came in and talk about kind of like uh, squeamy and just uh, I don't know the whole idea of uh, it, it, the title is bending wood with ammonia or extreme wood bending with ammonia is the actual name of the title. In fact, while you guys were talking there just a second, I was kind of skimming through this to see what was going on, and I have to tell you, anytime you work with ammonia, um, I don't want to be around it. To be honest, yeah. it's just it's horrifying, and uh, it, 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 I didn't really have a chance to watch the whole entire video, which seems to be a common theme here at this show. Uh, <laughs> what, why but, did you say that? <laughs> well, 
because I wanted to make it. I, I want to talk a little bit about what I saw, <laughs> oh. which made me uncomfortable. But okay. it was really neat, though. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of chemicals, like nasty chemicals that can do bad things, and and long term exposure sort of things that we we put ourselves at risk. Uh, when we use them, but ammonia is one of those things that's really good at letting you know that it's not good for you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I like, worked in a freezer warehouse where we used ammonia as the cooling agent and the fact that they had to have gas masks every so many feet just in case it didn't work, like the it, tank exploded <laughs> or something uh, that, yeah. that really freaked you out. And, and, and certain days that ammonia just burned every hair in the nostril and wherever else. Yeah. yeah, definitely the apparatus he uses and the strength of the ammonia. This is not for the, you know, for the average person to do, but it does look like the ammonia does something really unique to the wood fibers, giving it this sort of pliability that you might not be able to get otherwise with just like regular steam or, um, well, even bent lamination. Some of these things are like tying things into knots, basically. Yeah, right. That's pretty hardcore bending right there. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's also it's, a good way to get yourself on the no-fly list. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. I uh, need some ammonia and something that will pressurize it. Do you have that available in your store? <laughs> of course, sir. Yes, it's duty-free, sir. Just <laughs> down the hall. All right. Uh, speaking of duty, Tom Ivino does our poll of the week every week. What's the connection nah, there? I'm not I, sure. I use, don't know, but you, I looked. I like that you just ran with that segue. Yeah, it was nice. use your imaginations. Uh, so yeah, poll of the week and Tom's been out of town, but he's back on the job and gave us the new poll for this week, which is, do you have an assembly table? And, uh, you know, we got to put projects together. Sometimes you just use your table saw surface, or if you have a workbench, you use it. And some of us have dedicated assembly tables themselves that that's really their only purpose is to be there for assembling projects. So if you've uh, got one of those, answer the poll, let us know what you think and, uh, participate in the comments. If you want to tell us a story about your shop and your table, we'd like to hear it. And uh, we'll talk more about that next week. So moving into our kickback, this is where you guys tell us some things. You got some feedback for us and we'll read it out on the show. First one here. Let's see. I think at least one of these is from the website. Maybe two are from the website. Uh, This one is from Amir. It's AMR. I'm going to call that Amir. That that works for me. Yeah, definitely. Okay. All right. Uh, He says, or she, frankly, I don't know. Um, Hey guys, had to comment on the wooden toothbrush joke that Mark made. They are widely used in the Middle East. Looks like a small tree branch that you can peel back the bark of the tip to expose the wood fibers for brushing your teeth. Used to be the only way to go for dental hygiene many centuries ago before the days of toothpaste and are still in use today mainly as a religious ritual throughout the day. If you're having a hard time imagining what they look like, just Google the word miswak, M-I-S-W-A-K, and see what comes up. They're often soaked in spices and leave a nice aftertaste. So I did look them up and it is exactly as he describes Oh, wow. Right? Very okay. cool. Well, that description there a little bit made me think of, remember those Christmas tree things that you and Nicole were talking about making where you just kind of like bend the wood back? I don't know why. When I read that description, that was the first thing I thought of. <laughs> right. You know, exposing the too. wood fibers. Right. <laughs> yeah, cool stuff. So, Miss Whack, get yours today. Nice. Well, we have another one that came in from Brian, and Brian says, Kickback regarding woodworking's impact on my daily life. After getting into woodworking, I've become focused on surrounding myself with things at last. Too much in our society today is considered disposable, and this is one reason I got into woodworking to make something that I felt was well-made and would be able to withstand our daily lives and hopefully future generations. Now, not only do I make things that last, the other stuff I purchased, I expect to last. This drives my wife crazy. I've been I've been seen taking apart a trash can in the store to make sure that the flip top mechanism is well made and won't break after the first month. And I'm going to say, Brian, that um, 
while that is a little obsessive, uh, <laughs> it's totally understandable. And secretly, I kind of do too once in a while, but not in public. I usually wait till they get it home and go, you kept the receipt, right? Because this is going back. <laughs> I think that's good. I think more people who have that attitude and sort of demand a higher quality of just any product you get, I think, I think good things come of that. Heck yeah. Yeah, I mean, it definitely is a certain point in our, our history of consumption that it's like, at what point do you decide that you're just not going to buy crap anymore? Because this should be that point. I think we're at that point that this should be the yeah. point. It I think be. somebody wrote a book about this, Anarchist Toolchest or something like that. Hmm. Hmm. Never heard something of it. Like, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. I don't. All right, this last one comes from Isaac, and this is uh, Isaac Smith of Blackburn Toolworks, and it's referring to the Framesaw uh, voicemail we had in 258. <clears throat> he says, uh, thanks for the kind words and enthusiasm for these tools. While I would not have any problem with laminating the parts, I do think that you want to take a bit of care with wood selection for the stretchers. Uh, you'll remember I said, don't worry about it. <laughs> Use whatever you have. Most woods will be strong enough to resist the compressive force of tensioning the blade, but the most likely mode of failure with a slender member like this is buckling. As buckling begins, the wood is subjected to bending forces. In extreme cases of grain runout, the wood could break. It's probably not likely to happen and even less likely to present any real danger, but I would still keep it in mind when selecting the wood. I completely agree, Isaac. And what we're dealing with here is an instance of, you know, there's always an exception to every rule. And at some point, we just have to self-edit ourselves. <laughs> because what I have found in woodworking is the more you begin to talk about stuff, the more people said, well, what about this situation? What about this situation? The fact of the matter is that the average species of North American hardwood, the bending strength is measured in the tens of thousands of pounds per square inch. So, yeah, it's probably not going to happen that much. Grain runout is one of those things you definitely have to worry about. So like in any instance, you want to choose your stock wisely and make sure you're not, you know, have a piece of wood where the grain's like on a 45 degree bias. But uh, yeah, I choose not to bring that up just because people then start to overanalyze, which leads us to this next voicemail <laughs> about workbenches. Before we go there, though, this, but I'm pretty sure it's going to fall into the same category. It might, yeah. Um, before we go there, though, I really think "Slender Member" is the show title for today. <laughs> yeah, I think that's <laughs> that one. Really, it just rang in my head a couple times as I said it. So, yeah. it, I mean, and I was I, expecting a snicker or something, and I got nothing. So. Well, I was I was being respectful and waiting, <laughs> waiting my <Yeah>. turn. <laughs> I, I was thinking to myself, did that really just come out of his mouth? <laughs> <laughs> oh man! All right. Yes, the Slender Member. Came no, 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 out. no, 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 no. I, my brain went there, but you don't need to say it. You do not need to connect those words. Uh, let's move on to our voicemail. We got one here from Scott asking about soft wood for a workbench. Hey, guys. This is Scott from the um, wonderful Pacific Northwest. Uh, I had a question for you uh, regarding workbench materials. I Right now, I have a my workbench consists of two by fours and a kind of a frame set up, and I'm looking to build my first quote-unquote real workbench, and I'm looking at materials that I'd like to build it out of. Naturally, budget is a concern, so I'm looking on the cheaper end. And right now, I'm looking at either Douglas fir, which would run me relatively cheap. I could pick it up from the big box stores or go to my lumber supplier and pick up either some beech or maple for around about $3 a board foot. Uh, my question is, if I go with something like the Douglas fir, would a softwood like that keep me 
would, would it be a bench that would last me a significant period of time and stand up to the damage that, or the wear and tear that it would take being a workbench? Or if I was looking for something that would last years, decades, would I be better off spending a little more and going with something like beach or maple? So I know that uh, many, all of you have built your fair share of workbenches and you'd be pretty knowledgeable on the, on the matter. So Thank you so much. I love listening to the show. I'm a big fan, and I look forward to hearing from you soon. All right, so if we could, let's just quickly go around and say what, what your first workbench was made of and what your current workbench is made of. So for me, first workbench, a couple sheets of plywood sandwiched together on some 2 by 4 Home Depot stock you know, material for the base. Uh, but it was just two pieces of plywood with solid wood edge banding all around. Current bench is all soft maple. Um, Shannon, what about you? First bench was a piece of plywood and a piece of MDF. Mm. Mm, getting fancy. I was really getting. Is fancy. that a hybrid bench? <laughs> it was. It was. Uh, <laughs> I think the last good sheet of plywood. So I bought a piece of MDF <laughs> to go under it. Nice. And like you, a hardwood uh, band around the edge. Okay. Um, currently, I have two. I have one made out of ash and one made out of Douglas fir. Okay. Uh, See, so my first workbench was actually a uh, cutoff from my wife's uh, company that she was working for at the time, which made uh, desktops for office furniture. So it was probably like really thick particle board with a laminate top with a, a very nice T edge around the outside to match the color of the, the laminate. Uh, and that was on probably just some two by four frame that I had cobbled together. The current one uh, is probably it's. A little bit thicker dimensional lumber, uh, but it is two sheets of plywood that are brought together, glued and screwed together, if I remember correctly. Uh, so, yeah, that's where I am right now. But I've got some beautiful maple that someday will see itself as a workbench. <laughs> that's what we keep hearing. <laughs> right. You know, well, for, yeah. for me, I always think that if you're going to build one that you expect to last a long time, I really have my reservations about things like Doug fur. And a lot of this may be because of the, the type of Doug fur that I'm able to source here. So since you already have one in Douglas fur, Shannon, tell us a little bit about your experience with that. Do you think that would be a good choice for him? Well, first of all, Doug fur is not that soft. I mean, it, it does depend upon like the, the growth rings per inch. If you've got a really wide growth ring, cause yeah. the, um, <clears throat> whatchamacallit, the early growth, is not very hard. It's low density, but the late growth of the dark lines that give it that kind of overall pink hue, that stuff is ridiculously hard. Um, and it will mess up a chisel real fast as you're trying to, to work with it. So the chances of a uh, Doug fur, like over time, it may end up with kind of that washboard look as the softer stuff in between starts to, um, just compress mm-hmm. and you end up with this ridge, which still should be okay. But I, I mean, my, my Douglas fir bench is my joinery bench, and it's, I guess, about four years old now. Um, I have no qualms whatsoever. In fact, I sell Douglas fir six by sixes for Rubo workbenches. I've sold probably 100 workbenches worth at the lumberyard. Wow. Um, been no complaints. And that actually doesn't include the amount of lumber I sold to Chris Schwartz for a class he taught on building Rubo workbenches out of Douglas fir at the Mark Adams School. So, uh, I, I don't have a problem with it. I'm in the school of thought that um, whatever you can get that's cheap, um, go for it. Um, I've amended that over the recent years and saying whatever you can find in good dimensions, just because having laminated up my 
workbench out of like 15 eight quarter pieces <laughs> and then putting together one out of uh, four by six Doug fur three of them. <laughs> that's the way I want to go. You know, yeah. so if you can get 16 quarter or 12 quarter wide boards, slab boards, go that way. Um, you know, you'll spend more money, but you'll save yourself on a lot of effort. But species to me, you know, there's a lot of people that say a softer species is better because it won't damage your actual work piece. Um, you know, I suppose that's the case. My, my ash workbench is pretty dang hard, but I'm also not dropping my projects on it. You know, right. I'm, I'm respectful of the project I'm working on. So, you know, I think it's whatever you can get. Um, and if you want to spend the money, go for it. If not, save some money. I'd be curious to know how much uh, regional variability there is and stuff like this, because most of the things that I could get at the big box store, even the stuff that's labeled as kiln dried that I've had in the shop, I'll use that for different construction things inside the shop, like a utility would. The Any of these things that I bring in the shop after a couple of weeks, they turn into a pretzel. I mean, and that's that it's, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but a two by four does not even stay anywhere near close to straight or flat or anything like that. And even after, you know, I let it sit for a while and I mill it up a little bit, they're still fairly unstable. So I imagine putting that all into one big mass called a workbench and I would be scared for its future, um, <laughs> you know, just because it turns and it actually does get very, very lightweight um, and just feels like, you know, cardboard. So I don't like, I don't know if, it, if there, there might be that regional variability between what we get uh, down here in the Southwest mm. versus what uh, you guys on the East coast might have as no, no question. I mean, we don't even get Douglas fir. I, I speak for myself, but mm-hmm. we use it, the two by fours here are hemlock fir or Eastern white pine. Um, yep, and that's we what we have Doug also. Fur. That's a West Coast species. There you go. Well, interesting stuff. So it sounds like it's actually viable. I, I kind of fall in the same camp, though. If you, whatever you can get at a good price, because you need a ton of it. Like this, is a, yeah. this is a project that will be probably more wood than any other project you'll ever build. And well, I have and a I'm feeling also, that. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Matt. Oh, I was just going to say, uh, I have a feeling that a, a lot of if everybody keeps going back to like traditional woodworking and and what did the 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 joiner or the or the craftsman way back when what did they use and they used what was pretty much right out their door yeah, so, which, which was right out the door i mean beaches yeah. well not so much anymore but everywhere um right. all the beach we get pretty much comes from europe so yeah it's what yeah, they had. It, it, Exactly. I mean, it's almost like one of those things, if you think about it, and I'm going to totally go out on a, on a stretch here with this, but it's like when you think about like, you know, shop local, well, uh, shop wood local yeah. <laughs> or, well, you know, you, so it's available. You're going to get a good deal. I mean, I went with ash on my bench because I got it for like 98 cents a board foot mm, because right. there's a local sawmill here that saws it. And I got a lot of really thick and wide pieces at the same time. So, you know, and I admit I at the time when I was building mine, Jamil was building his over Benchcrafted and he had that great tutorial and he was building an ash. So I was like, okay, <laughs> Jamil's doing it. It must be good. Right. But I just so happened to get it for a great price. The thing that I'm always kind of stuck on when people talk about this is I'm going to build my first real workbench. Do you really think that's going to be the last workbench you build? It you could, know, it maybe could be. it will be. It could be because these days there's a lot more information as to what needs to be in that's a true. quote unquote that's proper true. bench that you can build one that's a good foundation and then you can modify yeah. it over time. Yeah, any I, of these Rubo or Nicholson style benches or the Moravian style benches have such a great kind of blank slate platform to them that yep. it's possible. But at the same time, you know, I think to 
sink the money and we're talking, you know, what is he, what, did he give a price? But it could be 500, 800 bucks, maybe a couple thousand, depending on the species you buy yeah. in that first workbench just seems like you might be better off saving the money for actual wood to build projects for that first workbench. Yeah. You know, it's not going to kill you to have to remake a top later on because I doubt the legs are going to get, you know, banged up. Uh, the legs will probably be fine a decade, two decades from now. Sure. Maybe you have to replace the top. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. All right, let's move into our next voicemail. Got one from the OCD Woodworker about a split-level shop. Ooh. Hi, it's OCD Woodworker from Cheshire, Connecticut. Uh, my wife and I just bought a new place, and I was going to move my wood shop from our existing basement to the new basement. Uh, both are around the same size, uh, probably about 450 square feet. But the new place has a uh, small barn large shed. I'm not sure which it would be, but it's about 600 square feet. The problem is it's upstairs and downstairs, and I'm having a little bit of multi-level anxiety trying to figure out how I would, uh, what I would put where. I have um, a joiner, a planer, table saw, drill press, a floor standing mortiser, router table, bandsaw, small bandsaw, 14-inch, and I'm just not sure what combination I would put on which floor. And I was hoping that you guys might have some ideas. Um, any info would be greatly appreciated. Thanks for the show and talk to you soon. All right. Very interesting question. Now, none of us have a split level situation though. You know, Matt obviously has to go downstairs for his stuff. So I don't have experience with this and I would, if it's heavy, leave it on the ground floor. See, that's the thing. Like there's the common sense element, right? Like anything that's really heavy, like the way I see this upstairs would be hand tools. Downstairs would be like any power tool, like anything that's heavy. So upstairs would be just nice, quiet, serene. The only heavy thing up there would be maybe the workbench. And that's about it. Uh, The other thing is that comes to mind is material coming in. You don't want to have to take all your raw wood and plywood upstairs. That's stupid, right? So try to have all the milling tools, which works into this whole common sense flow, have all those milling tools downstairs. Um, I would, I would personally try to set the entire shop up downstairs first, just get, get the ball rolling. And then as you're working in that space, think about, well, you know what? This could probably go upstairs or this could go upstairs and slowly, but surely get the stuff up there. Yeah, I mean, he said it's 600 some square feet, so you assume they're about equal. So 300 square feet is nothing to laugh at uh, as far as size. Um, yeah, it might be a little bit tight. But the other thing I would worry about is actually moving the project up and down. So I think, Mark, you're on to something. You want it to, like, move up there and not have to come right back down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and ideally move it up in pieces. And the only time you bring it down is when it's fully assembled and, you know, you're you're good to go. Yeah. Um, the other thing, though, if it's a barn and maybe there's like I'm thinking of like a pole barn where there's access to the upstairs from outside, um, that can be a great place to put lumber, uh, especially if you buy it green because you've got a built-in kiln up there, there on right. the second floor. So you could dry stuff up there. I know um, a couple of people who actually do that. They have these two-level barns and they store all their lumber upstairs and they've got like a little pulley hoist up top and they pull it up. And essentially, I think it's supposed to be a hayloft. I'm no farmer, so – I could be wrong on that, but Hollywood has told me that you stick the hay up there. So that could be um, a built-in drying kiln. Could also be a great place to have a little studio. You know, if you can manage to keep all the tools downstairs, use upstairs as a display area, 
Um, because yeah, you're right. Even with the hand tool stuff up there, depending on what kind of woodworking he does, he may still be carting project parts up and down, up and down to do various things, which sounds like a real pain in the butt. Right. Yeah, How cool would it be to have a dedicated space to like sit down and like draw out projects and maybe keep your computer up there out of the uh, dust to play with SketchUp like and an stuff? Office, that could be cool. office space would be great. Yeah, that would be really cool. Good idea. Well, you know what? If anyone has experience with a two-level split situation like this and how you set it up, uh, just shoot us a voicemail or email. Give us some kickback on that. We'd love to hear your thoughts. All right, moving on to our email. Uh, First one here is from Tom. He says, I'd like to hear your thoughts on style. That's something I I don't have much of, by the way. I wear cargo shorts and Uh, (laughs) T-shirts. Oh, woodworking style. Okay. I was going to say, I'm like, you know, uh, I'll have to ask my daughter because apparently she's starting to become hip and cool, which I'm like, mm, how did that happen? Because no. <laughs> teenager, teenager. <laughs> no. That's how it happened. Yeah. Let's- uh, he says, uh, goes on to say, woodworkers such as Maloof and Krenov have very distinct styles that are their claim to fame, and that's why we worship them. In my own experience, having all of my projects look the same does not go over so well. I get, oh, that looks a lot like the last thing you made. (laughs) He says, how do you feel about carefully honing your style over many years versus keeping things fresh and never repeating a design feature or wood combination? Uh, So I'd be interested to hear what you guys think about this too, Um, but I'll, I'll just go first with it. For me, I don't really worry too much about my own design style. There are people out there who make it their life's mission to establish their own artistic and design style, right? This is my thing. I just want to be a better designer and they're really into that. I kind of just don't give a crap. Like I build furniture because I love woodworking. I love building stuff. And if in all of this fun that I'm having, I somehow develop something that someone can recognize as my style, fine. But ultimately my style is nothing more than my, like what I've ingested and I'm now pooping out to the world. It's a great way to refer to it, by the way. <laughs> I think that's, <laughs> there is something to say about that, though. Uh, if, yeah, if you're gonna poop it out, but yeah. I, the way the way I look at it, yeah, I'm, I'm very similar. Um, I don't think I will ever have an established matte design. Uh, I I just know what I like, and that it, it does. It's just kind of the way it works out. I mean, I, I know that there's certain woods that I prefer to work with. Uh, there's certain things that I, I like to. To, to build certain lines that tend to come out in, in the furniture pieces that I'm attracted to. So maybe they're already uh, established styles that I, I kind of am drawn towards. Yeah, just gravitate and, toward it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there for a while it was uh, um, very much shaker style because let's get serious. That's kind of a fun style because it's so straightforward <laughs> and, and easy to work with and kind of plain Jane. So maybe maybe that is my style. We'll just call it plain Jane style. <laughs> I know Samantha's go. is basically like uh, beat the living daylights out of it and make it look like it's been in a barn for 100,000 years <laughs> and, and go from there. But yeah, I mean, I, it reminds me again, I keep going back to one of the Woodworking Americas, Shannon, where you and I were at and look at the question about the, the woods came up. Like, you got to use all these fancy woods and it's like why i mean if you want to go for it but it shouldn't become this obsession to at least the way i look at it not an obsession to be to define this particular style that's so unique to you and everything else just build what you want to build yeah do you do you work at your style shannon not really see and i don't even i'm still in the phase where i found so many pieces of furniture that i like as they are that I guess I'm still reproducing. I mean, <laughs> right, I'll yeah. throw I'll throw in a little flair here and there just to kind of make it my own, but it's usually in the same style as the piece that I just reproduced. Um, right. I I just am not much of a, a 
blank page out springs a piece of furniture. I usually start with something Mm -hmm. and go, you know what? I really like that. Why would I want to change it? Um, And I think maybe I'll, maybe I'll get there one day, but there's still so many pieces of furniture that I want to build that it's going to take a while. But it is funny. I do think that whether we mean to or not, you end up with a style. See, Mark, I think I could pick some of your pieces out of the lineup. Um, I think you do have a style. Um, but wouldn't you call that style completely just derivative of David yeah. Marks and Krenov and well, maybe and, a little that, Maloof? That's true. You know, you, it is it is very David. It's very Marxist. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> but interesting. You know, yeah. And and a lot of it is because I know you really well, and I know your your origin story right. to use a comic book term. And you know, I know that you apprenticed, if you can call it that, with David Marks. So right, obviously, right. you're going to be influenced by that. Um, so, you know, I think we end up that way. Personally, I'm I'm with – who is this? Tom. Tom. Um, I'm with Tom. I kind of would rather not develop a style. I kind of want to make things different as much as I can um, just because, you know, the, I, I don't know that I'm challenging myself if I don't. See, that's, because, that's, the, that's the thing that concerns me. If you really start to say, well, no, this is my style, the thing is there there might be a point along the journey where you're actually – you might be honing a style, but you also might just be repeating someone else's style. Right, and, and falling be, back on the, uh, the, what you know. Right, and exactly. So, Matt, like you said, you like the shaker stuff. Well, what if you never got out of that? Because that's what you like, and that's perfectly mm-hmm. fine, but you never advanced any further because you actually what you're doing is you're not stepping out of your comfort zone. Right. You know, so. Well, it always makes me wonder, like with the whole apprentice and master and the journeyman in, in the middle there, wasn't there? And I'm going to totally pull this like out of. Uh, I remember kind of reading this, like it was at some point, like it was you were required to move on to like a different person or a, a different master, so that you could learn something just a little bit more to try and expand your your knowledge base. And and if it wasn't required, maybe it should have been, <laughs> so that you could <laughs> move around to all these different. Th- uh, the even like with chefs, I mean, you know, you probably have a chef who is very much into say French cuisine, but yet they're familiar with other types of cuisine. If you really find yourself just in one particular thing all the time, it's going to get stale really fast. And I don't mean yeah. that as a pun on the food thing, but but even with with the design, it's important to once in a while go, you know what, uh, while I like Shaker, I'm going to do something really unique to me and maybe try this arts and crafts thing or I'm going to try this 18th century whatever the – king or queen was at the time and and while i may not be the best at it it's a unique experience for myself to try and push a little bit further mm-hmm. well yeah. as as an example and I'll, I'll call someone out because he doesn't care about us but um the uh jory brigham the how guy dare from he framework what he cares um no he doesn't <laughs> I, I doubt he listens to the show and if he does this is actually a good thing but if you look at i can um, make sure he listens to this show that's true you've got you got people <laughs> this one um, in particular <laughs> so jory listen to this listen to it all the way through before you get mad <laughs> you look at some of his stuff and he had this kind of wavy carved thing that he used time and time again mm-hmm. used it in a door panel one place and used it on a tabletop some other place he actually used it once on the show and it, it, I remember watching that show after I had looked at his portfolio and I'm like, whatever, dude, you're just falling back on something you already know. And then I realized, yeah, he's got three days to build this. So, of course, he's falling back on something he knows. But I, I tuned into his Instagram feed the other day and he's really blown out of that. He's not using that that little wavy carve technique in any of his pieces anymore. And I think even he was like, I got to do something different, you know, because now all of my pieces have the same little kind of wavy carved element to it. So 
and and for me from the outside looking in i got very tired of that very quickly mm-hmm. and i was like okay dude do something different you know we know that you can make that little wavy carve thing try something different and sure enough he did now he's kind of doing some crazy things with like mixed media and everything and it's very exciting to look at because it's totally different now on the flip side though you've got a situation like let's take you know let's step back i don't know what 30 40 50 years to maloof's career and what if someone told Malouf early on when he started saying, okay, well, I like the idea of blending these parts together, you know, and I'm going to start making some chairs. And then he made a chair and it was like, oh, this is a good prototype. And now I'm going to make another chair. And then like five, six chairs come along and his wife goes, listen, Sam, you really, you got to start to do other things. You know, like this whole chair thing may not be your thing. <laughs> like, like what if he was like, and I know Sam's built plenty of other furniture types, but you can almost always point out a Sam Maloof style piece. It's very, um, it's very trademark style to it. So like there still is value in someone obsessing about one particular thing and then taking it as far as they possibly can to push the limits of that thing. You know, mm-hmm. so so I think for someone like Tom, maybe that's the question: is is it, which, at what point in his woodworking career is he? Is, has he already established a style, or is this just him emulating other styles and he's gravitating to the thing he's comfortable with? Well, you know, what about the idea of taking a style that you're comfortable with and then just tweaking one little thing? You know, I think a lot of people get hung up on the idea that a new style has to be like like this big dramatic change this right. you know Soup to nuts just, different yeah. right yeah, yep. yeah so but what about if you just simply made one little like if traditionally this one aspect of the furniture always has a 90 degree edge uh compared to the face what, what if we what if we chamfer it slightly what if we round over this oh well you're like the idea with uh green and green like with the, the clouds the cloud lifts you know uh maybe that introduce some sort of unique little thing like that it can be a small change that could potentially lead to more dramatic ones or leave it as the small change and so it's like you know i think i know that that particular builder because everybody else did square edges and look at he did chamfers he's the only guy that does chamfers so it yeah. must be him so, and that's why it's not worth as much as the square edge yeah there you go all right we spent a lot of time on that sorry about that uh, matt you're up all right well this one came in from scott and scott says i'm just getting started with woodworking and have invested invested in a good table saw i work in my garage and i don't have a lot of room because my wife still insists on parking her car in there what that's what? crazy so my question is, can I use a router with a spiral bit to accomplish jointing stock or should I try to find a good used jointer instead? So to answer the question, yes, you could use a router uh, with a spiral bit or a straight cutter bit uh, to joint the stock. Uh, and then the other half of that, yes, I would look for a good used jointer instead simply because – For my own experience, while there are plenty of videos out there, and I'm sure we could probably just do a super quick search and find at least two or three uh, at YouTube and even maybe at some of the major magazines, as as far as I'm concerned, when it comes to using the router, this is one of those – it can be kind of tricky and it can kind of be uh, not so much fun depending on how you're going to do it. So there would be – two different ways that I, I've been thinking about this. Um, and I'll tell you, that I, I tried both of them and I got really mixed results. So the first one, of course, would be using, say, a router table. Uh, and in this case, you need to make sure that you have a fence that could bump out just enough on the outfeed side so that you could have that same effect as the uh, 
as as the blade is uh, as the wood's moving across the bit. Uh, that assumes though that your router table is big enough to handle the stock that you're dealing with. And my question there is, if you're working say with rough wood. Uh, rough stock, you would have to flatten the faces before you did this because if it was kind of wavy, if it had you know, all, the, all, the, all the rough edges or the rough face on it, that really wouldn't move across the table very well, resulting in a nice 90-degree edge. So another way, if we get away from the, the router table, um, you could use a router uh, um, what's the word looking here? I'm looking for like a router jig, very much like a cutoff uh, panel sled, not sled panel thingy, where you run the the router across. It's in my head and it's not coming out my mouth. Dang it! This is like, talked about this earlier with the pricing thing. Um, I'm just gonna let you flounder there. <laughs> okay, yeah, thanks. I'm not gonna help at all. None of us are trying to help. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let's see how far it goes with this. Uh, but yeah, so you could have like a, a router jig where you just set it on the wood and you could run it across. And that would help to uh, take care of the 90-degree edge. Like I said, there's a whole bunch of uh, searches you could do for this. Look at and there's you can find them over at YouTube and everything. In my opinion, really when it comes down to it, a, a jointer will do great work for you simply because of the fact that you could do both the face and the edge. Where with the, the router, you're probably going to be getting mainly just the edge. So you're still going to have to do something with the face, which I don't know, probably bring in a – Eventually, you'll get a thickness planer, and you'll add it to even say, less I'd, space. I'd still buy a thickness planer before I bought a joiner any day. Yeah. Yes, definitely. I mean, that one's, that's another great topic that comes up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we probably talked about it on the show. I so. believe, yeah, I'll go look for the show notes on that. <laughs> All right, Shannon. Okay, this one comes from John. <clears throat> he says, I'm going to build a large cherry table this fall. The, tough, the top will be roughly 8 to 9 feet long, 42 to 48 inches wide, and 1 and a quarter inches thick. I'm debating using quarter sawn cherry for the top. Just the top alone is going to cost in the neighborhood of $500 if they pay the going rate of about seven to eight board feet for quarter sawn cherry. I'm surprised he has a dealer that'll actually give him quarter sawn cherry. That's a rarity. So is it worth it to go all out on the tabletop? Is regular flat sawn okay or will I regret it in the long run? I do plan on using breadboard ends and properly attaching it to an apron to account for movement. I currently live in Phoenix, so I can fly over Mark's house and interrupt his podcasts. Mm-hmm. I move around a lot, so I could end up in Florida or D.C. next. Hence my concern with long-term wood movement. There's a lot going on in this question. Um, and, and at its heart, he's wondering what kind of wood should I use for the tabletop. I would like to say choose what you think is going to look best because he goes on to talk about preventative measures. Using breadboards is going to help keep that top flat. Properly attaching it to the apron is going to help control some of that potential to warp. Of course, if you're using the appropriate fasteners, whether floating buttons or figure eight fasteners or whatever to allow it to expand and contract even better. If you do that right, it should not matter where you live. And if you move, yes, the tabletop is going to move, but if you've built it properly, it will still be allowed to move so you won't get any buckling or cracking or anything like that. So really, it shouldn't matter. Yes, if you built it at a quarter sawn, you might have less movement, but it's not that quarter sawn doesn't move. Um, flat sawn is going to move a little bit more, but if one looks better than the other, if the style of the table you're going for, the look that you personally want is going to look better with a nice straight vertical grain, which you'll find in quarter sawn, then, you know, the top should be what you spend the most money on on a table. Let's be real. No one's going to see the base. So it, it, it really isn't a cost of money because you want it to be the best you can get. At the same time, he's talking about one and a quarter inches thick. When you get into material that 
you're you're getting close to the too thin, um, but one and a quarter is still pretty thick, and it's going to hold its shape pretty nicely. It's not going to potato chip too much on you because you've already got a lot of meat in there. So, uh, sorry, John, I'm I'm throwing this question back to you, but I think either way you go, you'll be okay. So it comes down to you and your own design style. And if you don't know what that is, rewind about <laughs> five minutes. And Back up a again. little bit. Can I take a slightly different angle on this one? I, no. I, please come on, man, <laughs> just let me talk. You guys never let me talk. Um, I actually think he is better off with the quarters on. And the only reason is because I have moved from a fairly humid area to a completely not humid area. And I've seen wood do things that I just didn't expect it to do. And not just a little bit of, you know, shrinkage here or there, but a sort of inherent instability in the wood that only came about because of that major change in moisture. And with such a big top that he's talking about here, I think he is way better off. If he moved from Phoenix to Florida, he needs every card stacked, uh, in his favor as possible because that's a massive, massive difference and a lot to ask of that top to not warp. And I'm not so worried about just a little bit of shrinkage here and there or actually expansion uh, as he moves there. I'm worried about thing that thing just kind of potato chipping up on him and lifting the apron and a leg up in the corner if it's really decides to go haywire. Um, if the wood just is inherently stable, then maybe he's going to be fine and it won't be a big deal. Um, but I feel like I would be very nervous to see a table of that size make that move without it being a quarter saw on top. I mean, it could still go to crap anyway, <laughs> even with the quarter saw on, but I feel like it's a lot less likely versus just a standard flat saw on top like that. I mean, there's no question quarter saw is going to be more stable. Um, I, I just think people overthink it too much. I mean, he's doing the right thing yeah. by using the breadboards and getting you know a good base for that table to sit on. Um, but yeah, I mean, I haven't made that Phoenix to Jersey or Jersey to Phoenix. I mean, I'm sitting here sweating in 96 <laughs> degrees and 90% humidity yeah. marks and 115 degrees and 2% humidity. That's, that's hell on a, on a piece of wood. Well, the, um, the, the example I can give you is coming from San Diego to Phoenix. Uh, right. basically there were a few things that I had and one that comes to mind is a tool chest. I basically just had a plywood frame and panel design, you know, and I've had it, I had it for years when I was in San Diego, perfectly stable in that condition. It took about a month for this to happen. But once I got it here, the whole door and just again, frame and panel door, plenty of room for the, the panel to move. And actually, actually it was a plywood panel. So there wasn't a whole lot of movement room, but there didn't really need to be a uh, half inch uh, panel for the plywood. And it just warped like crazy. So it isn't that there was a little bit of expansion and contraction to deal with. The frame boards themselves just went haywire on me. And this thing just could not sit flat. It raised up by about an inch when it was sitting flush against the uh, wall cabinet. Um, so in that, that's a very small example of something that should have been fairly stable. Um, but the wood apparently had another plan in mind. And once that extra, or once that humidity was gone and lost that moisture, it just went according to its plan, which was nuts. So, and it was stupid wood. Yeah. The only other thing I would add, and again, it comes down to aesthetics. What do you want it to look like? Personally, I like straight grain on, on a tabletop. Oh, yeah, I think good. it looks cool. Um, quarter on cherry is going to add a little bit of, uh, not, you can't really call it ray fleck, but there is definitely a, a, a pattern to medullary rays and, and cherry. Um, but if he goes with flats on, if that's the look he wants, be very picky about which flats on boards you have. In fact, I would actually avoid the wider boards. 
Um, 42 to 48 inches, you're not going to, unless you go to a sawmill and get lucky, you're not going to find a board that wide. But cherry also doesn't really grow that wide. So to get a 15-inch wide cherry board, you're generally sawing just outside of the pith, right through the thickest part of the log. And in the center of that is the tightest curvature of growth rings. So in other words, you've got this hinge right down the middle of the board that is going to want to warp like mad. You're better off buying flats on boards that are located closer to the outside of the log that have a little bit um, greater diameter to the growth rings. Yes, they may expand and contract a little bit more, but they're not going to have a tendency to want to warp as much. Mm -hmm. The other thing you get with a board that's cut right out of the center of the log, you get flats on cathedrals in the middle and rift and quartered flanking either side of it. So you've got two different moving situations going on. The middle wants to hinge and warp, and the sides want to increase and decrease in thickness, and the board's going to go wonky on you. So this is actually an instance where as much as we revere the wide boards, you might want to stick to six to eight inches wide in this mm. particular case if you go with flats on. If you go with the quarter sawn, you're not going to find 15-inch wide quarter sawn cherry. If, if you, you do, buy it. If you do, let me know where it is. It <laughs> sounds like he's local. <laughs> go and buy it and, and expect to spend more than $500 on it. I might sneak in there ahead of you and grab it before you do. So, <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, cool. All right. Sounds good. Good luck, John. Build it and send us pictures. There you go. All right. Well, if you want to support the show, you can help us out by going to woodtalkshow.com and looking over in the right-hand column for those donation links. Send a few bucks our way, and we appreciate your support. Also, go to woodtalkshow.com slash giveaway, and you can enter to win a free T-shirt. And you can also go to the uh, TWW store to buy a T-shirt if you want to, and that helps us out, too. You can leave us a review in the iTunes store. Just uh, look us up in the iTunes store. Click on ratings and reviews and leave us a five-star rating if you would, if you want to. I mean, if you could leave a one or two or three, we're just not going to read it on the show. That's just how it goes. Uh, Friendly Yeti left us a note. It says, Loves the, love the show. I learn something new almost every episode, and I'm always left wanting to hear more. Keep up the great work, guys. And click, it was a helpful review sweet gotta click that every time so thank you so much if uh, you know that i don't even know what that does for us anymore we always encourage people to leave reviews in the store <laughs> uh, these days i mean i don't i really don't know what it does for us but we're going to keep doing it until people stop using itunes there you go which is yeah. like next week i think next or week. until until one of us finally <laughs> figures out what exactly it does and we're like whoa 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 never mind we didn't want that sorry <laughs> itunes user abandonment is directly related to the release of new versions <laughs> there you go right that's true that's very true uh all right matt uh how about you give them the contact info and we'll get out of here all right. Hey, folks, do you have a comment, a question or a topic suggestion? There are several different ways to contact us. Leave us a voicemail on Skype. Our username is Wood Talk Online. Call our voicemail line at 623-242-5180. Email us at kickback at woodtalkshow.com or you can leave us a comment on our Wood Talk Facebook page. And if you're looking for the show notes or downloads from today's show or say, I don't know, a previous episode or something, you're going to find those over at woodtalkshow.com. Super sweet. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll catch you next time. Yeah. See, see ya. ya.